Welcome to SkyCast, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today is a special episode while we wait for season six to start. We'll be answering some questions we got from you guys from Twitter and emails and talking about our season six speculations and also some favorites from previous seasons. Um, We're going to split this episode into two sections. So we're going to do our theories and predictions first, and then we're going to do our goodies and fun (laughs) bag at the end. Um, So just a heads up that that's kind of the way that we're going to break this down. So before we get started, um, how are we feeling about everything? I'm not feeling great. (laughs) (laughs) I I gotta say, guys, I'm kind of pissed off at the way this hiatus is going. And by kind of, she means like a lot. I have definitely ranted about it more than once. Um... I personally do not think this is this this like complete silence from everyone is a great way to number one engage your current fan base and number two to build up a non-existent yet fan base. I I really really think they're making a mistake with not telling us anything about season six, especially because speculation is my favorite thing to do and I think this is the kind of show that like lends itself to speculation and if I don't have any fodder for that you know then it like there's nothing for me to do (laughs) yeah she's just running around in circles this is not so much of an issue for me because I'm not like Sarah and I don't really do the whole speculation theorizing thing but I will say that the radio silence has been extremely unnerving for me and also I just miss the show and I miss I miss the build-up to it and I I feel like I'm very much like in the dark which is a weird place to be before a season I just feel like the fandom right now is dead. It is so dead. Yeah. There's nothing going on. And the show starts in two months. Like, what What are they doing over yeah. there? Yeah, I agree. It feels very quiet on the Western front. I mean, my huge fear for when the trailer comes out, and I'm assuming a few weeks, is that it's just going to be, like, recycled old footage, and it's not going to tell us anything new, and we're really going to have to wait until the first episode. I agree. I think that's 100% what's going to happen. I think it's possible. I'm not 100% sure. I, I don't know who actually puts together the trailers. I don't think that it's necessarily, like... Jason and the showrunners yeah they yeah, no the showrunners do but they get a lot of feedback well, and direction so from that's, the, what, yeah. that's what I'm saying like I I think that they are not really the ones in charge of this the CW is in charge of putting together their promos and everything so I feel like there's a possibility it'll be like the normal trailers we usually get if I am not able to speculate any further than like what I'm doing in this episode until the season starts I'm gonna be very angry yeah Well, before we get into all of that, um, I just wanted to make a quick reminder again to implore you guys to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other fans of The Hundreds find us. So please go and do that before you continue to listen to Sarah rant for the next I'm not ranting anymore. I think my ranting is done. Um, It's just more so like... You heard it here, folks. (laughs) I mean, I might rant about like certain things that I want to happen that haven't happened yet, but like... I'm I'm very 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 excited for season six. Oh, I am too. I think it has it's going to be lot amazing. Of potential, of course. I was also very excited for season five, and we can talk about that a little bit more yeah. later. But I'm still not loving what happened last season yeah. and how um, thematically things went down. So, well, I think that's a good jumping off point for our first point um, in our theories and predictions looking forward which is what are we hoping for this season on a thematic level? Well, as far as 
what I'm hoping for. Most importantly, I want this season to be a little bit slower and to focus a lot less on plot and a lot more on character. I think last season that was their biggest mistake. They tried to like do this whole elaborate plot that was ultimately kind of like stagnant, but they still focused on it way too much. Um, and they didn't do the kinds of character explorations that I needed them to do. Like I think a lot of what they did last season was trying to show us why these characters were like the way that they'd become after six years. But I think what they should have done is twofold, both show that, but then also give them a character arc for them to grow and change. And I don't really think many characters did that last season. No, I agree. Um, Iman sent us a really good email, really, really thoughtful email. Um, and there was just a couple of points on this that I wanted to call out. She said, subtracting um, this to favoring elements of the storyline is a clumsy move, referring to everything Sarah just said last season um, and we the audience as much as the characters desire the chance to sit and listen to what the other one has on their mind and the visual storytelling that we've seen so far has had its purpose to draw this partnership and friendship to mutual attraction and I want season six to develop the physical side of their relationship meaning Clark and Bellamy oh. <laughs> and I think I think that's so true right like we there was no there was no um, conclusion there was no um, discussion di well but I mean there was no chance for any of the characters to really sit and dis and discuss and and discern for themselves to reflect is the word I was looking yeah. for on what happened and I think because you know because this show is is built on the like end of the world apocalypse sort of like big bads each at the end of each season you know it's not something that is usually left to do at the end you know like we never get that like denouement at the end where they're like whatever mm -hmm. but I do think that it is there are have been moments sporadically scattered throughout the previous seasons where there we do get like a quiet moment where a character or multiple characters really sit and reflect on the emotional state of what's happening and that really didn't exist in season six at all I mean season five at all and I need that to happen actually before really we get into anything of season six like we need to see those kinds of um conclusions happen so that we feel okay about the emotional state before we get into this whole new arena of stuff I honestly don't think we're going to get conclusions early on I think that what the hundreds trying to do which I don't necessarily agree with but if they can pull it off I'll be a little bit happier is they're kind of merging season five and season six as like one long character arc a little bit like what they did with Echo we thought that they were going to have like much stronger growth for her in season four and that didn't happen and so I think her growth has been a lot slower than we expected but still we're actually seeing it progress sure um I think that a lot of season uh six and I hope a lot of season six will be coming to terms with the things that happened in season five and in season four to be honest like the fact that they have this huge time jump um, in between seasons four and five means that a lot of characters have unresolved things that like they need to talk about totally you know? and I think because the the staccato nature of season five there was no chance to really have any of these characters reconcile mm -hmm. what those seven years apart did to each other and to themselves means that we're gonna it's like a compounded problem of like the seven year separation plus the 125 years in cryo plus this new location there's a lot of stuff to untangle here emotionally um and it would be very remiss of the writers to 
push that aside just for the sake of exploring this new location, which I think is like, a you know, everyone's really excited to see them do that and to like get all of this new information and, and detail about this new place and the new things that it has to offer. But like, it's not enough just to do that. Like you really need to have these characters focus on their emotional journey mm-hmm. thus far. Um, and referring to Iman's specific Bellark um, hopes that she wants them to develop the physical side of their relationship. So this is actually the first, and you guys know that both of us are like huge Bellark shippers. I mean, it doesn't take a lot for me to ship things, but like I am an extreme Bellark shipper. But I do not think this season that we will get anything romantic between them. But what I do want is for them to like find their way back to each other as like emotional partners yes um I want them to like discuss the things that were left unsaid at the end of last season which was very frustrating to me um and like again just just become like true partners slash leaders again because they really do need each other like they're they're their best selves and their best like leader versions of themselves when they're together and making decisions together and that's what I want to see again yeah absolutely and I think it's important um if there is going to be a chance for a romantic aspect of their relationship to ever develop. And I agree that that's not going to happen this season because I think Jason said at some point that this is going to be a really Clark focused season um, and trying to get her back to a place where she's more like her old self than her mama by herself. Um, But I think if the romantic stuff is ever going to happen, they need to be on equal footing and, and back to a place where they feel like they are each other's center of gravity Mm -hmm. and I don't think we're there yet no not at all (laughs) (laughs) um another thing that I really really want to see this season is strong Octavia character growth you know she has certainly changed a lot um in the last five seasons but I'm not sure how much she's actually grown you know what I mean yes well I think we're I think it's important to distinguish when we say we want character growth I want positive character growth and emotional um wisdom <laughs> emotional depth yeah well um, she has depth but she, she she doesn't though because she's not emotionally self-aware well, i don't that's true i don't think she has the ability to self-reflect in an immature capacity as a functional adult so when we're talking about growth and change i'm talking about positive healthy growth um that demands self-reflection and moderation <laughs> of yourself you know compromising your id and your ego to find a way to exist harmoniously with other people and not just react from an emotional place that you don't understand. Um, We thought this was going to happen last season. I think we thought having her become the leader of the Grounders and One Crew um, gave her an opportunity to rise above her former self. What we saw was a descent. not necessarily be that's not necessarily her fault no 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 not blaming her at all there was circumstances of course that led to this descent and amount of pressure um and responsibility that she really is not emotionally capable of of handling honestly um but because of that we didn't get the kind of growth that we wanted and it's time it's like way past past time i mean i think part of the thing last season was her shutting off her emotions and being like as numb as 
it's possible for her to be. And I really want this season to be like an extremely emotional season for her. I want her to kind of like go through the five stages of grief about like everything that she's been through, everything that she's done um, and kind of come out the other side, just a better version of who Octavia could be because I do still feel even, you know, seeing how, much of a descent she's had in these last five seasons I feel like she has a ton of potential um as a character as like a force for change you know we see small pieces of it in each of the seasons about how um much she took to heart you know Lincoln's um perspective on things and you know her best friends were Monty and Jasper for you know quite a long time and there's just there's a lot of good in her but she continues to to make bad choices yeah um and so I really want to see her come to terms with both the fact that like she really was forced to become blood drain to keep them alive and now they've thrown her aside and like and and I'm sure she's gonna have a lot of anger about that and I, honestly I think she should it's justified um but I also think she needs to realize that the things that she has done were not okay <laughs> yeah I mean there's a culpability here that yeah. she needs to reconcile with and also accept what was done to her as a fact and something that can't be changed and something that she needs to move on from. Mm-hmm. You know, those are two separate issues that she's going to have to work through. And I hope that she does because I also feel like just as far as a narrative structure goes, it would be incredibly satisfying and fulfilling to see her reach that potential. Yeah. It is getting old to watch her continually reach and then fall back again and misstep and stumble. I'm getting tired of it. And I want that satisfaction of Mm -hmm. watching her finally succeed and get to a place emotionally where she is okay um and reaches that full potential and I'm I'm really hoping that they go there with her because I'm I'm tired of doing it the other way yeah and I want this season to be very for Octavia at least to be very self-focused and not focused on her relationship with Bellamy because I feel like both of them just need to have some time apart to grow as people but especially Octavia um and then maybe you know if we get a season seven then we can kind of see them come back to being siblings that have gone through a lot and done a lot to each other but have come up the other side stronger for it one could only hope (laughs) Um, okay, so we're gonna take a quick break on theorizing um, and talk a little about a little bit about um, pairings that we're hoping that will be explored in season six, yeah. romantic and non-romantic. Most of mine are honestly non-romantic. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best part of the show is mm-hmm. exploring non-romantic relationships. They're they are they do have romance. It's very small, but that's not the point of the show. My one romantic, it's not even, it's not really a hope. It's a question. Do you think that Clark will be getting a romance this season? I do not. There's been a couple of casting choices that has made me wonder, like, if she'll get a romantic pairing this season. I personally, I think she deserves one, but I don't think she's ready for one yet. I agree. I think she's not ready for one. I also think that if she does get one, it will be, again, a temporary partner, which is there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we've explored that multiple times with her, with multiple people. And I don't feel like if the show is going to go in a direction where she needs to do some self-reflection and really dig deep, she needs to do that on her own. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um. So while I, I hope not, mm-hmm. I guess, I, I don't really know what they're going to do, but I hope not. Yeah. Uh, my next one, and it's probably my greatest hope for this season, is I want Octavia and Dioza to, like, be a pair. Like, oh, yeah. 
just to be angry and I you want know, alone. <laughs> I want like a sensei, like apprentice situation happening. Like Dioza seems really uh, well adjusted for how much trap, like just trash has happened to her in her life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Octavia could use a little bit of that. Um. <laughs> well, and I think it's interesting that they both had positions in like the leadership club and have now both been kicked out. Absolutely. But I think that on the other side of that, I think Dioza has really come around and like accepted that as just like something that has happened and is, is move. I mean, she's got a child. Yeah. Like she is emotionally ready to move on from that experience. Whereas I don't think Octavia is. Well, I think what's interesting about them is I don't think either Octavia nor Dioza wanted to be the leader. Not ever. I think Octavia was kind of forced into it. And then she kind of became her own worst self within that. And Dioza was like, well, I don't really want to lead, but I'm also the smartest one here. Right. So. I don't want anyone else to lead yeah. either. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And I think that pairing, that's that parallel between them could be absolutely fascinating and a wonderful thing to watch. Also, I just want Dioza to be in every scene. <laughs> like, really. <laughs> I, I do, too. I, honestly, the the best thing to come out of season five was Dioza living. <laughs> I oh, did for not sure. think it was going to happen. Dioza, period. Like, hard stop. Dioza is the best part about season five. Yeah. Um, you want to talk a little bit Octavia and Jordan? Yeah, I just have a kind of a question really for you. Do you think Octavia and Jordan um, will in any way kind of come together because they both grew up in isolation? Do you fi- do you think that Octavia will find some sort of kinship with him um, growing up? Not quite the same way she did, but, you know, still very separate from most other people. Yeah, I mean, I think what's going to be interesting is that Jordan is a product of Harper and Monty, and Monty was such a helpful influence to Octavia. Mm-hmm. I think he was such a balm for her angry, festering wounds, and I hope Jordan will provide the same kind of comfort to her that her- that Monty did, and also in a way that she can relate to since he was so isolated, and yeah. I think he... Probably, I mean, I don't know Jordan well, but it's he seems very well adjusted and not angry to me. And I think for Octavia, who is an incredibly angry person, to see someone who she can relate to as having a similar situation to her, but not having the angry anger and baggage that came, comes along with it, will maybe give her a way out of that. For the record, I do think, even though we've you know we've seen very little of Jordan, and we already have, I think, a strong picture of who he is. Yeah. But I do think throughout this next season, we might get a little bit more of an angry side for him, um, especially given that his parents are now dead. Um, I hope wasn't so. Wasn't there? I, I think there's going to be a little bit that he also has to deal with. I I mean, if he's a well-rounded, three-dimensional character, one would hope. You know, like I. I think the hundred and when it's performing at its best writes very well-rounded characters that need to work through something and as all humans do. So if he's not a flat character, you know, a la Harper, if he takes after his father and not his mother, uh, then yeah, I would hope for that as well. Uh, My next one, and this is also a pretty major one for me is I want Clark and Echo to become partners or friends I'm not sure which direction it'll go but I think Clark and Echo both have such strong um, personalities that 
could go together but could also clash a lot as we've seen last season um and I, I I want to see them pair up I do feel like Clark and Echo have a mutual respect for each other oh definitely and I love that I don't know if it will ever blossom into like what we would call a bosom buddy friendship <laughs> but I do think there is a mutual respect there that can that will lend itself to an alliance of some kind mm-hmm. where you know it we know there's going to be some situation that's going to divide the group in some way conflict is the central theme of this show and I would hope that Echo and Clark land on the same side of that conflict and help each other and support each other in that way I don't know if I would call it a friendship but alliance seems like a like a good thing to hope for I honestly and this is like kind of branching off a little bit but I hope Clark lands on the same side as her friends in this season like whatever conflict we have what a concept I just I don't want Clark to be so isolated anymore she's so isolated and it's so tiring for me because the show is strongest when it's work when it's showing its friendships working together Mm -hmm. I mean those are our favorite episodes those are our favorite threads those are our favorite arcs that's what the show is doing best and having Clark so isolated and alone has been painful painful (laughs) deeply devastating for me and I want her back on the side of her friends but also an addendum to the Clark Echo pairing I want Clark Echo Gaia oh my god yes that photo of them all three together that pairing would be like I want them to have a day trip just those three like they're all so different in like the best ways and I think I will make an amendment to my (laughs) earlier statement that Dioza was the best thing to come out of season five because Gaia's arc and twist yeah. was also the best thing that came out of it season was five. I am so obsessed with Gaia, and <laughs> again, more Gaia in every fine with Echo, with Clark, with both of them by herself. I don't care. I want more Gaia. I'm honestly kind of obsessed with that actress too. Just like after oh my, we watched Sabrina, oh with my her god, in it, and then the hundred, like I hard, want her hardcore girl crush on her. I want her in everything. Yeah, <laughs> she's just extra as fuck, and I love her. It's so great. Um, so my next one is Abby and Maddie. Yeah. Abby's like kind of the grandma now. And I wonder, is she going to embrace it or, or are they just going to, you know, kind of not interact much? We didn't really see them interact too much, even in season five when they were together, you know, they didn't really seem like a, a triple pairing, her and Clark and, and uh, Abby. So I would like to see a little bit more of Abby and Maddie bonding um, or at least forming some sort of relationship outside of Clark. Well, I think it could be really interesting because we've seen Abby struggle so hard with her own mental health and her addiction um, and the the other things that she is responsible for. And I feel like what she's been missing, especially with Clark out of the way and not around, is a purpose, a positive purpose in her life and a a hope, something to hope for. And Mm -hmm. I think having a grandchild is one of the most wonderful and fulfilling aspects of an adult person's life that 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 is just a way forward and gives you meaning and purpose in a new light that you never expected before and I I really hope that she gravitates toward Maddie and helps Maddie sort of find her a family outside of Clark and that the two of them can find their own way own way forward for the for the sake of both of them yeah which would be lovely I could imagine that being a very beautiful and sweet relationship especially given that we don't know how long Kane is going to be around well around (laughs) or just like unconscious because right now they can't wake him up because right of something I don't even remember at this point Kane's just like whatever to me (laughs) 
Uh, but so yeah, I want Abby to have a little bit of a support system there, which brings me to yeah. um, Abby and Raven. They had a really rough season in season five. Wasn't um, good. It was not good. And I'm wondering if they're going to be able to fix their relationship or more specifically if Abby is going to be able to repair the damage she did to their relationship. I mean, in a short answer, yes. I think... I'm not I don't think the show is interested in having them on the outs. I feel like they're gonna hopefully get them back to a place a stable place sooner rather than later, just because I honestly don't think they have time for them to be on the outs. I don't think anybody enjoys that. I really just want that to be done. I also want Abby to grovel for what she did to Raven. Like deep. I just deep. remember Raven sitting on that cot sobbing. That's going to stay with me forever. forever. <laughs> and I think it's going to stay with Abby forever, too. Well, I wish she would have seen it. Well, I, I mean, I think she knows. I mean, she knows, but it's different when you see it, you know. Yeah. Um, And then talking about Raven, I really want Raven and Clark to finally get to talk. <laughs> I know. Oh, my it's God. It's been a long time. Like, they were separated for pretty much all of season four and then all of season five. And I think... Back in the day, Raven was Clark's strongest female relationship. Um, and I, I What just, a refreshing what? idea that was at the time. <laughs> so I, I want them... I mean, like, I know Raven's going to be angry at Clark, and you know what? She should be. Um, but I, I, I want them to talk through their issues and, and come back out I as would, friends. I would like that as well. I mean, one could only hope. One could only hope. Uh, Indra and Kane. Yes. <laughs> So, we, I mean, we know that they've had an interesting relationship, um, but we didn't get to see much of it last season. No. And, I mean, you know my dislike of Kane, and that is going to remain what it is, but I do like their relationship together. They're, I like, totally too. platonic, mutual respect and and love that's there between them. Um, I, I want to see them kind of renew that. I do, too. And I don't think that that – it's not that it was ever lost or gone it's just that we didn't have time yeah um and I hope moving forward especially now that they're they really are the old guard I mean like we have our our heroes have aged into adults now and really are leading the charge as far as government goes so these guys I feel like are more of an advisory capacity which gives them more time to like chill out and hang out and be friends so please (laughs) do that play some chess whatever (laughs) Uh, so next on the list, I have Maddie and Bellamy. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I actually thought their relationship was going to be a little bit different than it turned out to be in season five. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, I mean, like, you know, Bellamy is always like, oh, a child. <laughs> Let Another me one them. to adopt. <laughs> I didn't feel like he acted that way in season five, which was a little disappointing for me. Uh, I mean, he had a lot going I on. I was going to say, was there time? I don't know. Maddie's just like so sweet and like angelic you just like want to like pinch her cheeks yeah but maddie is like the the physical embodiment of the baggage that is clerk like you can't separate maddie without like realizing and attaching it to clerk's the new clerk yeah and i think there's a lot of baggage that comes with that and i don't know how bellamy can really reconcile that um well, but I really, really liked the moment between them last season, which I think was one of your favorite moments when Maddie was like, kill all of the Allegius people. And Bellamy was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's think about this. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> and that's what I was going to say is that I think that's really is the, the seed that will grow and be nurtured this season with their relationship. I think 
for a large part of last season, it was really hard for Bellamy to look at her and not be like, okay, what are you? And what does that mean for my relationship with Clark? I mean, I don't think he was thinking this on a conscious level, no, but I, yeah. you know, I think this was like instinctual. But I do feel like Bellamy is a dad. He loves children. <laughs> and I think he loves being able to impart wisdom and help people grow and be better versions of themselves because that's really what Bellamy does best mm-hmm. um so I think it's what Maddie needs right now absolutely I mean she's had one parent whose singular focus has been on her for a long time and like she needs other people yeah, I, I love Clark to death but I also don't think Clark has been very objective when it comes to Maddie for good reason no I think Bellamy has the objectivity that Maddie needs right yeah. now yeah um of course, next, I have Maddie and Jordan, who <laughs> I know, like, the whole fandom is really excited to see their relationship. And I agree. I want them to be, like, BFFs. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Jordan, I realize that he's, like, what, 30 or whatever? Oh, yeah. But he, I feel like, is going to have a very childlike outlook on life in yeah. a way that I feel Octavia should have had in season one, but didn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're way past that now. But... Yeah. I, I really do kind of want Jordan and Maddie to, like, team up. <laughs> yeah, that would be super cute. I could see that happening. Yeah, and then finally, Bellamy and Miller. They've had a lot of issues last season, and they – we just heard this weekend – I'm not really sure what conference is happening, but Jared did mention that Bellamy and Miller have a lot more scenes together this season. Um, so I do hope that they resolve the issues between them because, you know, Miller was part of Bellamy's original crew, so <laughs> – I am I'm really over Miller. I am over Miller too. I hope he can redeem himself. I was not pleased last season. I really really <laughs> it was a choice they made. It was a bold choice. Like, and it's it's like what we were saying except it was like what we were saying where they were showing how all of these characters had changed. Yeah. But with Miller especially they didn't show wow. why <laughs> he had become this person. And also they I mean it was just again it was such a stagnant portrayal um especially knowing the person that he was before i it was again it was a choice let's not let's not rehash (laughs) moving on um there we so there are a couple of episode titles that have leaked we don't know if they're the first two we don't know if they're even real no well we do know they were supposedly the first two well right but we don't we don't know if they're actually they're not confirmed in any capacity so we just wanted to um, briefly touch on them and discuss what they could mean the first one is um, Sanctum, which is episode the first episode of season six. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? I only have one thought. Yeah, I mean, Sanctum isn't a word that we've heard before, but my main thought is that Clark and Bellamy and whoever else they choose to wake up will decide to name this planet Sanctum, or maybe. Monty already like named it and it was like this is the name I've come up with for this planet I love I, that theory I like the idea that it's like their their refuge after earth yeah I love that idea I mean I, I honestly like have no clue if that's true but no of course <laughs> not this is all speculation but I love that idea I also like the idea of it being a sanctum or a refuge for them and then the I mean, I feel like there's going to be a huge exploration between the paradox of refugees and colonizers in season six, um, especially given that there's going to already be a pre-existing civilization on this planet. And mm-hmm. so I like the idea of Sanctum being a fairly neutral, positive name as opposed to something else. Yeah. Um, so it gives me hope. I also think that it, it could be one person's Sanctum, another person's 
prison. Prison, exactly. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. Um. So episode two of season six is called, well, supposedly called Red Sun Rising, which I have a bunch of theories about the two suns. And Go the for planets. it. I'm actually going to wait until um, a little bit later. Okay. I think we have some people who have written in who also have some theories, some that I agree with, that yeah, I think we can talk about it then. Okay. So talking about that, let's just get straight into um, some more of our theories. And specifically, I want to talk about the Allegis theories. Um, Laura underscore Gurisco on Twitter uh asked us we know that the allegiance three were nightbloods can we assume that our delinquents on the first dropship will all need bone marrow from clark and maddie before heading down to the the two sun planet what if becca gave allegiance nightblood and some sort of internal ai so there's a lot to unpack here i'm just gonna turn it hand over to it me. over <laughs> Britt's contribution to a lot of this is organizing my thoughts in a way that make some sort of coherent sense. You don't even want to know what this document (laughs) looked like when I got here. This is what happens when they don't give me any, like, fodder. I just kind of, like, word vomit everywhere. (laughs) I'm fine with that. Um, As long as you don't vomit on me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, kind of branching off of this ask we got, a lot of what she's asking about, like, Becca and internal AIs are kind of playing into some of my... I don't even know if I call them theories. They're more of like what I would wish, you know. I still can't get rid of Bill Cadigan. Bill, my guy, you know, the second dawn leader who apparently burnt Becca at the stake, which I'm still a little confused about. We're going to get into that this season. I hope so. God willing. I mean, we have Maddie's internal knowledge now with the flame. I I really want to delve more into We're going to get into it. The flame's history. But, um... I have this theory that Bill Cadigan owned the Allegius Corporation. I think that he might have started out as like a sane businessman and depending on what he discovered through Allegius might have sent him on this like I must start a cult and prepare for the end of the world path. Like we know that he was very rich yep. because he had enough money to build both a real bunker and a fake bunker and then who knows what else. Totally. You know? Um, so I definitely have theorized about him in the past, and I don't know really how much Second Dawn, the cult, will kind of play into this new culture we find on planet, maybe Sanctum. Um, but I do like the idea that like he took his cult name, Second Dawn, from this planet that has two sons. Um, and I like him having like some sort of hand in the Allegis Three um, launch or the Allegis Three voyage Mm -hmm. um and i kind of also wonder if if he owned allegius and if he already had his cults kind of up and coming at the time that allegius 3 was sent off to find this new planet is there anyone that he planted from the original allegius 3 crew that were like part of his cults you know and how would that affect the way that the people on the planet can evolve from there yeah, it's so, a really interesting yeah. question. It's it's not really like a theory so much as just something a question to, of what could be. Something to ponder. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and then another wild spec too is what if the original Allegius 3 trip was actually really to solve the problem that Ali came up with, you know, from Becca, um, the problem of too many people on Earth. Sure. I think the um, 
the reason they came up with specifically said in the show at least was to mine the planet for oil because we were like completely out of oil on this planet god forbid but i also like the idea of a more secret reason being let's colonize this planet and like spread out so we have more resources for people absolutely and i feel like given the preoccupation of of our own planet right now seeking life potential (laughs) on other planets a la mars um or others um it's not as far of a stretch and i think that that is given everything that we've already seen in the show something that the writers would definitely pull from and incorporate into the show so Mm -hmm. i would love for that to happen and kind of again branching off of what uh laura grisco asked about internal ai another theory i had was if you know uh becca was involved in this which we know she was because she created the nightblood specifically for the allegious three people Mm -hmm. um so if she was did she give them any sort of ai that's similar to what ali is you know i i I just kind of wonder if there is a way that we could get kind of what we have right now is the flame and then some other version of Allie that could be um, a an adversary for well, us and Maddie. That's a super interesting question because Jason said there is going to be life on this planet, mm-hmm. but he did not say that they were going to be aliens. So I think you could interpret the idea of life being AI. That's a good question. That's um, a really good point. And I feel like if there is like a hybrid situation of the descendants of the Allegis voyage and Allie's nightblood and her AI, that could be a really interesting kind of humanity that we have not seen yet, but have definitely gone in that direction before. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that could be really cool. I mean, like, again, I still hold hope that we'll see. Um, what's the actress who plays Becca? What's her name? I don't know. Slash Allie. Well, we'll see that actress again because I think she's so great at what she does. And she's, you know, played Becca and Allie, who are very different characters, so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to see her come back just like I want to, you know, hear more about my pal Bill. Definitely. So. And I feel like one of the reasons why we had we didn't actually end up getting a lot of her last season is because she was pregnant. Oh, was she? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, And so I'm sure that factored into a lot of their plans. But the fact that they planted that bit at the end about her burning at the stake implies at least to me that we're going to get a lot more of her in the future i feel like we'd have to right because what would be the point of telling us that if we don't i i kind of want it to be a little bit like um ali in season three so like instead of it being ali it being becca, becca who will pop up in the background when maddie's like somewhere and becca will be talking to her mm-hmm. um i think that could be so cool <laughs> it would be great um so kind of moving on to you asked laura about whether we're going to need to have everyone become a nightblood to mm-hmm. live on this planet. And so there was a photo posted by Ian Paula, who's going to be playing some character named Gabriel in season six. And then also Sean McGuire, who played Robin Hood in Once Upon a Time. And then this actress I don't know called Skylar Radzian. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were all posing together in dirty hospital scrubs with the Allegius uh, logo on them. So... The scrubs kind of had splotches that looked like it could be Nightblood. Like, it was kind of blackish. Black. Um, so this could mean that they are making people Nightbloods. They did look a little bit scary. They were all, like, really dirty and, and kind of... Uh, they, they were just kind of scary-looking characters. Okay. So it almost looked mad scientist-y, um, which doesn't really match up with what my idea would be for them becoming Nightbloods, which seemed like a pretty straightforward process that we saw in season four. You yeah. Know? Just bone marrow and then 
Yeah. So it's no, it's no. So I don't know. Super easy. It's just transfer bone marrow. I don't know if they're going to need night blood. It's very possible that they only need night blood. Maybe if like two suns are up at once. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But this poster or this photo was deleted. So I'm I'm curious what kind of spoilers were in there that it was like too much for the internet. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. I don't know because. Yeah, I just it's it's really hard to know. Um, so I guess then kind of branching off of this, we can jump into some of my night blood theories. Um, so we know that the original people who came to this planet, the original Legius crew, all would have had night blood um, because of the two suns. And we know that most of our characters, aside from Clark and Maddie, do not have night blood. Mm-hmm. So the question is, again, will they need to have night blood or will there be some reason that they can be on the planet as we've seen um, our characters from some of the uh, EW early look photos that were posted that we have some characters who canonically don't yet have night blood on the planet. Right. So either they were given night blood or, or they don't need they it. don't need it at this time. Right. Um, so uh, let me just, I'm trying to like organize all my thoughts here. So we have two sons on this world. Mm-hmm. Does this play any sort of uh, factor into the religion? I'm assuming there's going to be a religion. There's always a religion <laughs> on this world. Like I've seen photos from the set um, or from a new set we have that looks kind of like a, a castle. It's like a, it's got a banister and a staircase. Um, I'm assuming a lot of it might just be into CGI. Um, but the banister and the staircase at the top of this set photo, there's what looks kind of like a sunburst in the middle, either a sunburst or a flower, but I'm guessing it's a sunburst. And then on the side of these staircases are two banners. One has a yellow V and one has a red V. Yeah. Um, and we know that the suns in this world, one is a red sun and one is a yellow sun. So I'm trying to like figure out the kind of religion that they could create around these two suns and how that would work. Yeah. Um, and how night blood would work into it. Because again, we know that the Allegius three crew had night blood, but we also know that night blood doesn't necessarily uh, transfer genetically. Not necessarily. We don't exactly know how night blood works and how like certain people would have night blood and certain people don't but I'm assuming that it's not like just because you have night blood doesn't mean your child will have night blood because otherwise I think the grounder society would have been set up a little bit differently definitely um so how what would happen for the people who were born without night blood you know in a second generation um and how would that kind of change the way this planet was evolving so one theory that I'm having is there's a world that has been divided into a privileged sect and a less privileged sect. And I feel like those divisions would center around Nightblood. Um, and I'm not actually sure, though, which one is the privileged and which one isn't. But I'm actually leaning toward Nightblood being the, the non-privileged sect. I'm thinking of... They had to protect um, the 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 red blooded people who were born like in the second and third generations, mm-hmm. um, and maybe those people can't go outside when both sons are out. Mm-hmm. So like the night blood ultimately became like the worker um, sure. sect of society, and I could see some sort of like gross pure blooded metaphor coming up with like the red blooded people who are born you know becoming like the pampered you know more privileged version. Sure. Um, 
And how is this going to change when our people come to the planet? Most of them don't have night blood unless they, you know, all are given night blood. But there could be kind of a divide, and I, I hope this doesn't happen, but there could be a divide between Maddie and Clark and the rest of our crew because Maddie and Clark have night blood and would therefore be like the worker class. Um, and then the rest of our crew have red blood. Um, so again, it's, it's not really a, a theory so much as just um, a question. Sure. About how Nightblood is going to play a role this season, because I feel like it has to. Oh, of course it does. And if there are a bunch of Nightbloods on this new planet, what's this going to mean for Maddie and the flame and the, the grounder religion that we have right now? Because the grounder religion is kind of set up about Nightbloods being very rare and um, all kind of fight to the death to get this flame. But if there's a bunch of people who are Nightbloods, like how does that change the way that Gaia and um, uh, Indra and all of them think about the right to rule? Well, exactly. But I feel like that's that's a symptom of an even bigger question, which is you have one people who have a specific take on on a or interpretation of of something Mm -hmm. and then you're gonna come into contact with a different civilization that may have a totally different interpretation and what we're talking about here is what the show is the central focus of the show which is conflict yeah (laughs) and interpretation of the same thing in two different ways um and how do you reconcile those two things what what is the effects and cause and effects of that clash and what does that mean for the future um i think the nightblood is a really excellent mechanic for un, um, unspooling that question uh, and I think that's really going to be our access point into that question mm-hmm. um, in sort of like really stark and clear terms in an otherwise very murky philosophical show um, so yeah I think that could be really cool yeah so I guess we'll see we shall see so the Nightblood stuff is always super interesting yeah Um. so You've been doing some research on IMDb. Yeah, I mean, I just did a very brief look um, through IMDb at the 100 Season 6 episodes mm-hmm. and just seeing who they casted and who they were playing. Um, obviously, they don't have everyone released yet, but I did find a few really interesting nuggets that kind of are playing into some working theories I have. Okay. Um, the first being the Golden Guard. So there is a character in episode five um who is just called the golden guard or golden guard member Mm -hmm. um so golden guard trying to picture what this could be i'm i'm thinking it could relate in some way to the like privileged sect versus the unprivileged sect and the golden sun sure so like for example um the golden guard so the, so the, so the people who don't have night blood would have to probably hide away when both suns were out. Um, so it's only the yellow sun that they can withstand. And I feel like the golden guard in some way will relate to the yellow sun um, and, and guarding these people maybe when the yellow sun and the red sun are out. Sure. Um, again, I don't know. I'm That's just such a... Yeah, it's a theory. I also feel like... Go bear with me on yeah, this. Yeah, okay. Um, in... In fiction and literature, there is sort of a tradition of naming the elite guards as golden or whatever. And I feel like when you're setting up a new society, you need to use these kind of like key language markers um, to sort of connote to your audience the hierarchy and the structure that you're trying to world build here. And I feel like the Golden Guard is a really easy way to express this is an elite body. Like this is like a 
a privileged group of people. So I feel like that's a that's feels very very right to me. And I also like what you just brought up about Golden being elite. Maybe Golden actually refers to the people who need the golden sun versus the red sun. Right. Um, maybe they are called like the golden, like the elite. I don't yeah. know, but that would I mean, be a this cool is idea. like a thing that happens that we see a lot in sci-fi lit and sci-fi shows mm-hmm. and fantasy lit and fantasy shows. So I feel like that's a solid theory. Okay. Um, and the other thing that I found is, and this kind of made its way around online a few weeks ago, but Jake Griffin uh, and the character who plays Clark Stad is going to be making an appearance in episode seven. What does this mean? Is this Clark hallucinating? Is it um, backstory that we're going to get with Jake? You know, why why is he going to be around? I feel like it could be flashback or it could be um, Clark remembering. Like there's a there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Like there's a flat. We, like if we get flashback, that's like context for us. If it's a memory, that's Clark reflecting on something. And I think those two things mean different things, especially for Clark. But I do feel like a season that is supposedly centered around her and her potential and her overall arc, character arc. I feel like we are. I mean, she has such a interesting and complicated relationship with her dad loving relationship with her dad that I feel like it would be remiss of them not to include him in some way if she is doing a bit of self-reflection well here's kind of a a weird not really weird but a, a theory that I'm working on sure um we know and I don't I didn't look up this actor's name but the actor who played Mr. Argent in um Teen Wolf yeah. is going to be playing kind of the leader of what is termed a peaceful society uh, here on this planet. And I'm wondering if Clark is going to form some sort of like father-daughter relationship with him and if that relationship is some way going to make her either think about her father or at some point in the season hallucinate um, about her father kind of being there in the same way that like Maddie might see people from the flame. Sure. Um I kind of like the idea of them drawing that connection. And it's something that we haven't seen from Clark yet. We've never seen like a father-daughter thing from Clark aside from the the very brief bits we've gotten between her and her actual father. Right. And I think it could be an interesting relationship to explore. I agree, especially because I think for a, a lot of Clark's actions and a lot of her motivations stem, I mean, it all really started with the one decision that her father made mm-hmm. to share the news about their systems failing on the arc and I think that she's had a really hard time and has wobbled back and forth whether that was the right thing to do the wrong thing to do whether you know if put in the same position whether she would have done the same thing which we have seen her done multiple times withhold information (laughs) like her mother would have liked and also share information like her father did so it is an interesting question and I don't think that she's really come to terms with it with herself Mm -hmm. and what that legacy has really left her with so I would really like her to start to form some sort of coherent ideas about that. Agreed. Um, My next thing that I find quite baffling is there is a, like, grown child, I'm saying maybe five or six-year-old girl, who was cast to play Hope in episode eight. And we know Hope is the name that Dioza has chosen for her baby. Um, So what? (laughs) That's a tough one, man. I don't know. I mean, the only... Is there going to be a time jump? Surely there won't be a time jump in the middle of the season, right, though? I don't know. Like, that I just would... seems very odd. I don't feel like Especially, that's... Especially... In fact, I don't feel like the show could sustain another five-year time jump. 
I, I, because the characters would at that point would be like in their thirties. I mean, I realized that the characters kind of already are in their thirties. They 30s, are in their, 30s. but like I, I feel like the show <laughs> has done all the time jumping it can, or it should, 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 sure. I, I, I really don't think they would do a time jump of that length, um, so close to the other time jump. Thing. Okay, I have a really bizarre theory. Okay, it's very weird. We know that she was like pregnant. When she went into cryo. Mm-hmm. What if. <gasps> no. Yeah. <laughs> what, no. <laughs> what if the f- there was like a problem while she was in cryo and Harper and Monty realized that she was going to lose the baby if she stayed pregnant any longer and had to deliver the baby. And then the baby grew to be five years old and then it was finally safe to put the baby back in cryo so that she could be with her mom. I love that theory. I mean, I feel bad for Dioza, but also, like, the woman has been pregnant long enough. And I, I, it sucks that she would miss those first, like, five-ish years. But we can't have a baby in the sh- We really no room can't for have a baby. And I don't – I unless we do a five-year time jump, I don't know why. I think that's actually – I honestly didn't even think about that, but I think that's a brilliant theory. I don't know why it would just be in episode eight unless they wait that long to, like, wake her up. Um, which is very possible. Not Dioza, but the baby. The baby, yeah. sure. Or the girl. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they're, if the baby is five years old and Dioza is like, I don't want to bring my baby into this new society if I don't know what, I mean, there's like so many dangers. Yeah. It could be very possible that she's like, let's just wait and see how this plays oh out. Oh my gosh. I love that idea. That makes so much sense. Look at you theorizing. I didn't say I couldn't theorize. <laughs> I, you just don't. <laughs> Um, no, I love that. And I actually kind of hope that's the case. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, and I also kind of, I mean, kind of branching off of that, I want to see a few more secrets come up about things that happened on the Elegia ship while everyone was asleep. Definitely. Like maybe some people have woken up and gone back to yeah, sleep. Yeah, I mean, like, like Abby. We don't know. We really have no idea what ex- what transpired over those years. So like, if there was a problem with, um, Dios's pregnancy, they would have had to have woken up. Absolutely, Abby. they would have woken up Abby. And I've complained. I mean, not really complained, but I've like asked before why they wouldn't have woken up Abby for certain things, like when Harper got sick or when Harper was pregnant, having her baby. Like it just would have made sense. So I feel like this would answer those questions for me. Yeah. So great. Um, another just very random theory I have. There's a character called Josephine the Seventh who's coming in episode eight. And I'm wondering, you know, seven Josephines feels like that would kind of lead back to the time of the original Legia ship because it's sure. been, what, 200 years? So yeah. Like seven, like generations. seven generations. That makes sense. I got that. Um, so I'm wondering if there's like an original Elegius Josephine who, um, in my theory, could have been part of Bill Cadigan's cult. Sure. And is maybe kind of a leading faction of, of one of these sections of society. Mm-hmm. And so, like, all of her children have been named Josephine right. at some like, point. Like monarchs. Yeah, it just seems very odd that a random person would have had seven generations of Josephine. Like, it seems like something that an important person would do. <laughs> sure. I agree. That's an excellent theory. Um, another really tiny thing, there's a bunch of dancers cast for episode nine. Hmm. So it sounds like there might be some sort of party or probably more likely some sort of ritual that's happening in episode nine that they needed dancers for. That just reminded me of season one when there was that flashback to the arc where they had the party oh, that Octavia yeah. escaped to. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think it's going to be anything like that. Probably not. That. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. Um, in episode 11, they have cast an Asgata warrior. Um, and we know that we're getting more of Echo's backstory this year, thank God. Um, and I also note, you know, I think that's the episode that Bob Morley directed. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if episode 11 is going to be where we get Echo's Echo. backstory. And maybe it'll be a very, like, Echo and Bellamy-focused episode. I would feel like if it was a Bellamy-focused episode that Bob probably wouldn't be directing it. Well, actually, I had heard, and I wish I had, like, facts to back this up but I'd heard somewhere that um Bob was in a lot of scenes like it was like a very like Bellamy focused episode so he was doing both so I think he was doing both but the fact that we have an Asgata warrior in this episode also makes me think that it it's it's Echo's backstory as well yeah like there's no other real explanation unless like the Asgata warrior is one of the crew now but it seems like we've passed that time of Asgata now they're all one crew so I I think it's gotta be a flashback I hope so and then last but not least, there was a character supposedly listed as Shade Hedda mm-hmm. um, in, in episode six. Um, this isn't on IMDb anymore, but someone had screenshotted it online. And we know that Shade Geta means knight or like more um, specifically, it means shade gatherer, mm-hmm. um, which is their word for knight. So Shade Hedda seems like it would mean some sort of like knight leader if that makes any sense, like commander of night, um, leader of night. And in, in, in what way would this relate to this certain sect of nightbloods that they have? Sure. Know? I love that idea. I mean, it's not really, I, I'm still a little bit unsure what shade Hedda would actually mean, but that's like my best guess is like, there's like a leader of the nightbloods and a leader of the redbloods. Yes. No, I think that's excellent. And I think based on what we know Hedda means, that's a pretty solid extract extrapolation um okay so that is all of our imdb thoughts um really briefly just wanted to make a mention of the fact that we will most likely be getting a new title sequence we better be getting a new title sequence because we're on a new freaking planet yeah i mean given the fact that the new the title sequences thus far have been about earth satellites (laughs) looking at earth and now the fact that earth is on fire um I really feel like we're gonna have to get especially because they just said end of book one so I feel like it's gotta be a new title sequence I'm so excited for it I think there's gonna be a lot to pick up do you remember how amazing it was when we first saw the you guys didn't know us back then but it was (laughs) I it was fangirl jaw jaw dropping (laughs) that was like a I don't want to say like the start of our obsession, but it definitely was like, whoa, we was are that in season two or three. No, it was like midway through season one. No, 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 no. They didn't have it in season one. They, they, they started it. I think it was season two. It was definitely it. before season three. It okay. must have been. Then it was season two. two. It was like in the hiatus they released this new title. Oh sequence. my god, it was so freaking and cool. It's just so it's still one of my favorite title sequences. I oh love my, it. It's amazing. Can't wait. So they'd better have that. <laughs> um. Okay. So let's briefly talk about this new civilization and what the aliens could be on this planet, possibly named Sanctum. Um, Jacob McCabe, who has no, no relation, relation to me to whatsoever, <laughs> except being a blood relative uh, <laughs> and my younger brother of <laughs> Sarah McCabe, asks the very important question, what do you think the quote unquote aliens are going to be on this new planet? Which is a pretty wide open question that his sister has taken a very, very extremely detailed approach to answering. Well, okay. Uh, so 
I guess kind of rewinding there, we know that there's going to be life on this planet. We don't know if there was life on this planet before Allegius three landed, or at least if there was intelligent life on sure. this planet. We know that there's probably like trees. <laughs> but... Biological life. Yeah. Um, so I have several theories about this, um, and a lot of them are kind of wrapped up in this book, The Sparrow, which supposedly Jason Rothenberg told Bob Morley to read in preparation for season six. Sure. I'll get to that in a second. Um, so my question is, when the Allegis crew landed, did they wipe out the original inhabitants of the planet? Is this like some sort of uh, Western colonizers against the native peoples of America when they came over and brought smallpox or something like that? You know, like, I mean, not that we wiped them out, but it was greatly like basically a genocide that reduced, happened. reduced greatly. Um, is that something that could have happened with these new Allegius people. And so, like, perhaps these, this peaceful society that they're touting isn't actually so peaceful. Like, maybe it's, like, grown from, like, the blood of the native peoples of this planet, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know what that metaphor could be like. Uh, could they have interbred with the species that already lived on this planet? Um, and is that even possible? Um and perhaps the alien species was able to change themselves to look like humans, which I'll actually get to in another second. Um, another question I have is, did Monty do any sort of research about this planet? And did he discover anything that we could maybe uh, get more from him in episode one? Because he is listed as a cast member in episode one. Hmm. Christopher Larkin is. So it could just be more of like a goodbye to everyone. Sure. But I like the idea that he like has a lot of video logs that kind of detail everything he's possibly been able to gather about what they're about to face. Oh, I agree. It feels very likely. Yeah, for Monty. Yeah. I don't know if he would, would be able to gather any information. Right. But if but, it was possible, yeah, then definitely. Um, okay, so let's get into kind of the meat of what I wanted to discuss here. So this book, The Sparrow, full disclosure, I have not read it, but I did do kind of like a deep dive into like the summary and just some of the themes and pulled out of those. Um, so I'm just going to see the ways that this could relate to this season. So The Sparrow is supposedly about this group of Jesuit priests who go to this newly discovered planet as missionaries. And there they kind of discover this peaceful species that they grow to kind of care and respect. Um, but later on in the book, we find out that there's actually two species on the planet. There's the peaceful species and a predatory species that preys on the peaceful one. Um, and this predatory species ultimately kills most of the peaceful species. Shock. So, uh, also what I wanted to bring up is the predatory species was able to evolutionarily change their looks to look more like their prey, to make mm. their prey um, easier to catch, susceptible to them, which is kind of why I was wondering if, you know, the, the original inhabitants. inhabitants kind of also had that um, ability Chameleon. or like that evolutionary um, transition, just also given the fact that we don't have a lot of special effects budget for the show so like there's only so much they can do to make people look like aliens and not people right you know <laughs> um but i actually have a theory that the predatory species and the uh, peaceful species are kind of more of like the night bloods versus the non-night bloods mm -hmm. and how one of them kind of preys on the other um but i do like the idea too that the peaceful quote-unquote species are the people that Clark meets when she first gets there, much like the character, the main character of the book. Mm -hmm. um, and the main character of the book forms this sort of like 
daughter father relationship um, with one of the young girls who is part of this peaceful species, which is kind of why it led me to asking, is Clark going to also have this father daughter relationship with this other guy? And is that going to mean that these peaceful people are actually just kind of the food source of another scarier (laughs) set of people? And are these people humans? Are they aliens? I don't know. Interesting. And, and maybe, maybe the, uh, the peaceful species, they might look like humans, but what if those are the actual aliens? Right. Well, Um, I mean, I feel like there are so many different opportunities and possibilities with this that, it's really hard to know. Like maybe the prey actually evolved to look more like the predators. So it was harder for the predators to find them. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. Um, in the book, uh, in the, in the sparrow, the planet also has two suns and there is a species that sleeps when only one sun is up. And I wasn't quite sure. I think it's the predatory species, but it wasn't very clear in my research. Um, but I just like that idea again of like, the nightbloods and the non-nightbloods, one can't be up when the two suns are up and, you know, one does all the work outside. I also feel like that could be really fun to explore, like, the, the like, vampire lore and yeah. how that would, like, kind of, how that would look in this sort of setting. The red sun. Yeah, no. There's a lot that I'm we could work with there. I'm so excited, aside from, like, the religion and the, and the character aspects of what two suns mean, I'm also just really excited about how these two suns are going to affect this planet on a, um... Like landscape and geographical yeah, environmental. level, environmental. Envi- I think that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, environmental level. Like, what it, are, are, do weird things happen when the two suns are up at the same time? You know what I mean? I mean, the short answer is yes. We just don't I know hope how. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also wondering, and I touched on this a couple of minutes ago, but is Clark gonna really follow the path of the main character from the Sparrow, who grows to love these peaceful people and is ultimately like taken captive by the predatory species and it kind of results in a loss of faith in God Mm -hmm. um, in the book and obviously I don't think the religion would be quite the same with Clark but I could we we, let's say we know from Eliza um, that this season is going to be really different for Clark and it was one of Eliza's hugest challenges mm-hmm. um this year and I'm, I'm still unsure what that could mean for Clark's development um and what kind of challenge and what kind of changes Clark is undergoing um but I wonder if it's more of like she's trying so hard to be the good people and she's like succeeding but then through circumstances ends up being the one to like get all these people that she loves murdered which is kind of what happened with a Jesuit priest in the Sparrow mm. um I don't know if that would be really different from everything that I was Clark's gonna say that through. feels very on brand for Clark <laughs> I honestly can't I can't think of how Clark could be different than she is like I could see her going back to a more season one version of herself but like, what other ways could well, she change? something that you had just mentioned kind of sparked an idea, which is the idea of religion, which Clark doesn't have. Mm-hmm. She is, like, the most logical, practical, pragmatic character on the show. She has, like, almost no spirituality to speak of. I mean, it just does not coincide with the things that she needs to get done on a practical level. But mm-hmm. I feel like even though it, the very concept of exploring a new planet with new species sort of defies the idea of a, of a religion because it you know a religion is sprouted in in the basis of a specific culture yeah yeah I do feel like they might 
be able to teach her a way to be spiritual, to be emotional and vulnerable in a way that she has never had the chance to be before. Um, that could have been a new thing to do. I actually think that's a really good guess about spirituality. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be religious or theological, but I think spiritually there is a lot that they can do. And I think that would be a new level to ascend with Clark. Oh my God. Are they going to go the Jaha route with Clark? No. I mean, Clark and Jaha actually. Yes, they're very similar. Very similar. I mean, I I don't think Clark's going quite to the degree that Jaha went, but like, is that going to be more of a direction of like peaceful, nonviolent, I'm just going to sit here and preach to people versus actually taking action? Well, let me tell you this. If they do that, you'll be unhappy. I will not be happy. I would also There will be be a big capital N-O for me. (laughs) I just, I I don't, I like the idea of her taking on a more spiritual um, journey this season, but I also, that doesn't feel like Clark to me. And I, I worry... I don't want her to change for what I would consider the worst for her. (laughs) I feel like there is a way of exploring spirituality um, in a way that is not preachy. Yeah. Um, Jaha, I don't think is capable of that, (laughs) but I do think Clark is. And that is ultimately what's the difference between them. I do think it could be good to find a nice middle ground. Balance. Um, of her just being a little bit, I see my, my favorite characteristic of Clark is how practical she is. And sometimes that's even detrimental. Um, but I really love that like practicality that's at her core. And so I don't want her to move too far into the spiritual because I think that a lot of times those two can clash. Well, I feel like you're thinking about this too literally. I think what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. as far as spirituality is more of a, an emotional, way of reacting to the world Mm -hmm. a la Bellamy Bellamy is not religious but he is spiritual he has things that he hopes for that he believes in that you cannot quantify in practical terms that he fights for Bella or Clark on the other hand doesn't fight for anything that she can't quantify I mean like there needs to be a very tangible reason for doing things Mm -hmm. in Clark's universe and I think or Clark's mindset and I think learning how to open yourself up to being more emotional, to being more spiritual, to just letting yourself, allowing yourself to connect with things on an emotional level without any sort of intellectual reasoning is more of what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's what I would like. Okay. I think that could actually be really great. (laughs) And it would make sense as to why Eliza would find it very challenging. Yes. (laughs) Um, So I guess my one other question is, are we going to get sort of a parallel between the mountain men and the grounders this season? Um, because as we know, the mountain men would kidnap grounders and take their blood <laughs> to survive. Um, and obviously blood will probably p- play some sort of role in this season, just given the parameters that we're working in right now. Um, so I, I would like to kind of see some sort of parallel, but also subversion to what happened with the mountain men and the grounders and and see how that plays out in round two. I agree. I feel like we got a lot of uh, connections and parallels with the Grounders versus Mountain Men last season. I don't necessarily want it to play out in that kind of way, but I think there are a lot of different connections that you can me- make um, and new interpretations of that that we can draw on. I think the Mountain Men was such a wonderful storytelling device Um that I, I really love the idea of them drawing on that over and over again, just because I think it was one of their strongest seasons. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. That was a lot. I will say, if Britt and I were betting on how long this episode would last, I would have lost. I thought 45 minutes tops, and we're already at 110, and yep. we still have some extras. I actually put in a lot of these extras because I was like, oh, well, I'll take up a little bit more time. <laughs> and I said, you're crazy. I wish we had bet on this because I would have won. And that was before we started. So, as usual, I am always right. Um sometimes right <laughs> you you don't underestimate how much we can talk I did clearly <laughs> like I said I am always right um but we do have some fun goodies to get into just for the sake of we love the hundred and we love talking endlessly about the hundred we, we miss it and I think it's a fun preview of what Sarah and I do on a daily basis <laughs> um just totally total fluff. So here are some fun extras that you guys sent in for us to sort of talk about and fantasize about um, just in no particular order. So fun things that we do on a daily basis is sort the characters into Hogwarts houses. Um, So we're not obviously not going to do all characters because that would take forever. But there are certain characters that I think we just naturally sort in our podcasting in general that we want to talk about and also off the air as well. So I think the easiest and the first one that we do constantly is Murphy. Yeah. Not hard. He is a Slytherin. He is a Slytherin. He is a weird combo of Slytherin with a little bit of puff. Kind of. Tiny, tiny also bit of puff. like a little griff. A little griff. Sometimes. A little griff. Sometimes against his will often. And a, <laughs> like I, I think there's like a vulnerability there and a wish a desire to be good and fiercely loyal. And accepted. That is a little puff of him. Yeah. You know, on his best days, he's a little bit puff. It's ninety nine percent Slytherin though. <laughs> um, so the next one I want to talk to you about is Amori. I think before this last season, I would have said 100% Slytherin, no other room for any other house. Except. But this season, oh yeah, I also felt a little bit of puff from her. A little puff, but a lot of griff. Well, I think actually we're seeing the same things, but sorting them differently. Sure. I think that her, um, the way that she reacts to things, or the, 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 the way that she undergoes challenges and takes them on and, and sorts through them is a very Slytherin way. Yeah. But I think at her heart, there's also this, like, need for acceptance in family that Puffs have. Sure. Um, and I think that that can sometimes translate a little bit into Griff because they kind of interact. Gryffindors and Puffs are very similar. Yes. Gryffindors are just a little bit more ridiculous than Puffs. <laughs> As Gryffindors Griff- are a little dumb. As a Gryffindor, Sarah can say that. <laughs> um, but you also see some Griff? I see some Griff just because I think it takes an r- extraordinarily brave person to decide to take a di- to approach life differently and to want to change and to make those changes for yourself. That is not an easy thing to do, and it's incredibly brave and courageous. And I, I applaud her for it. I totally agree with that. But I also want to put an addendum that I think that the major difference between Hufflepuffs and Gryffindors is bravery, pure bravery versus bravado. I think a lot of what Gryffindor falls into is bravery for the sake of something else aside from just bravery. Not always, but a lot. But I think that 
the heart of Hufflepuffs is they can be brave in a very selfless way is just like I love you and I want to help you mm-hmm. um, and I see that bravery more from Amori as like a puff version versus like a Gryffindor version I don't know I think I would disagree I think Harry is the most Gryffindor of all Gryffindors and his bravery and courage is pure I'm not saying always. there's no ulterior motive with Harry he's just he can't help himself and I see a lot of that in Omori as well. But I would say Cedric Diggory is also very brave and very selfless. And I think the difference I see in Amori is the way that she reacts to things. I think that she approaches problems in a very Slytherin manner. Yeah. But her heart is Hufflepuff versus like if she had more Griff in her, I think her approach to things would be slightly different and I also think she still is just very very protective of like the one she loves over everyone else which is a very Slytherin quality sure um but also has like a touch of puff in it as well like a Slither puff yeah I guess we'll disagree about this one we'll agree to disagree I don't I feel like there's so much overlap between puff and griff that I like I would be I fine. Mean, there's overlap between all of them. Well, of course. <laughs> I mean, ways. humanity is, yeah. is an overlap. <laughs> but, I mean, if we're trying to sort, then I'm okay with I, – I just kind of also like the idea of Murphy being, like, 1% Hufflepuff and Memory being 1% Gryffindor and, like, seeing how that, like, interplays together. But I can also just see them both being mostly Slytherin <laughs> and a little bit Puff. Um. Okay. Bellamy? Bellamy is actually – has always been the hardest person for me to sort. Same. I've gone through all four houses at different points for different reasons. Um, I ultimately still have to settle with Gryffindor because I think Bellamy, especially the old Bellamy, tended to leap before he thought about things. I also agree that he's a Griff. Um, But honestly, like he has qualities from all four houses. Yeah, I weirdly feel, and this is a very strange pairing, but I weirdly feel like Bellamy is Griff Ravenclaw. He and has so many Ravenclaw traits to him. Especially the new Bellamy. Yes. Um, and he, I think, left to his own devices in another alternate version of himself could have been Ravenclaw because he's just such a, a freaking nerd. <laughs> um, and really just genuinely is curious about things, mm-hmm. but has needed to develop primarily a Gryffindor sensibility because of the circumstances that he's um, been in. Yeah. So I think he's like primarily Griff with a lot of Ravenclaw and then a lot of the other houses too. I think he's like a very, he's like stretched across all four houses very mm-hmm. equitably. I would say the least bit of Slytherin. Yes. Um, Because I know that he's made some poor choices, but I think those were the reasons behind why he made those choices are very much more of like a Gryffindor or even Ravenclaw. Agreed. Um, I, d- I don't see a lot of Slytherin in him at all. Um. I wish he was a little more Slytherin he's, sometimes. Yeah, he's just not super manipulative. He's not. And he, I mean. Or ambitious. He's right. Not that's ambitious. what I was going to say. I mean, like, he just doesn't have a mindset for, like, plan. I, anyway. <laughs> he's just not a, he's not a slip. Yeah. Clark? Clark is also hard. She is. Um, Because I, I hear a lot of back and forths between, is Clark Gryffindor? Is she Slytherin? Well, let's talk about that. Okay. Because I think those are the same thing of a different, the same, two sides of a coin. I think the, the Slytherin Gryffindor connection and the Ravenclaw Hufflepuff connection is very strong. Those are those are two things that I think they tend to it's tend hard to sort between them. Mm-hmm. Um and I think Clark is ultimately both. I don't think you can have one without the other. 
I think she's both. So here's my thing. Okay. Um, in Harry Potter, we know that Harry could have been, or it was said that Harry could have been in Slytherin. He would have done well there. Personally, I've always found that ridiculous because Harry does not have a drop of Slytherin in him. He really doesn't. He's not ambitious. He's not manipulative. He's honestly the purest griff to ever serve, like live, you know? Okay. Let's just table that for a sec and look at it because the reason I think why he would have done very well in Slytherin is because he had a piece of Voldemort's soul in him. And if he had been a different person, he could have... That could have influenced him in a very... He would have embraced that piece of Voldemort in him and that would have led him toward his Slytherin tendencies. However, being Harry Potter, he firmly rejected it and was like, no, no, I am a Griff. I am only Griff. So, again, choices more than our abilities that make the man. Okay. But what I was going to say here <laughs> is we like envision Harry as, is supposed to be like the, the mix between Slytherin and Gryffindor, but I actually don't really see that I do see Clark as being 50 50 I think and so I too. say this being a person who is 50 I was gonna say Sarah <laughs> is as close to a hat stall as a person I have I'm ever met 50.001 percent Griff <laughs> and the rest Slytherin yeah it's really tough she straddles that line very well and I think Clark is a hat stall but I- the best the best um Fanon that I've ever heard for what house you'd actually belong in is that your like external qualities how did it put it it's like the what determines your second house the the what you do determines your second house but the why you do it determines your first house yes and I think that Clark reacts to things in a very Slytherin way most of the time but I do think her reasoning behind it is actually very much more Gryffindor yeah. than Slytherin um, so if I had to say she'd be in a house, I would say Gryffindor, but I would but say barely. barely. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. Um, and I think that there's this like long spiel that I give to many, many people in my life about why they're in a house that I sort them in because I am the end all be all of sorting, <laughs> of sorting hats. <laughs> um, don't at me. And that is part of it. I Ever since I was a little girl, I've always said it's not what you do, but it's how, why you do it. Um, so I love I love that. I hope everyone listening has actually read Harry Potter because I was just going to need to like skip through a few more minutes. If you <laughs> haven't read Harry Potter, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, don't be listening to our podcast over reading Harry Potter. <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, so let's go through these last um, pretty quickly. Maddie? I think Maddie is... Slitherpuff. So do I. Yeah. But I was actually going to say the opposite. I think she's a, a huffle, huffle, hufferin. hufferin. I think she's more <laughs> puff than Slytherin, but I see a lot of Slytherin in her. Okay. I, I mean, like, y- you are very specific with, like, the first house has to be the first part of your... Yes. Uh, but I am not, and I also do think she's more Hufflepuff than Slytherin. Yeah. I think she's grown a lot of Slytherin tendencies because she's had to to survive. I also think like having Clark as a mom, like you can't, yeah, not, you can't, not, pick you can't up not pick up being a Slytherin. <laughs> like you just can't. Um, but I do think she's left to grow to her own devices. She could be very puffy. Yeah, Ravenclaw? You I mean, mean Raven? Literally a Freudian slip. I just read the word Raven and then spit <laughs> out Ravenclaw. So I don't feel like we need to spend a lot of time no. on this. Raven is Ravenclaw. 
Yeah, she I think her. One hundred. I think her secondary house would actually be Gryffindor. I would agree, but I think that it's very small. It, it's honestly like she's a Ravenclaw. Like, she is the most Ravenclaw of all Ravenclaws. <laughs> if you could like look up the definition of a raven, it would be Raven. <laughs> like I don't think it's an accident that her name is Raven. I really don't. <laughs> oh, I deeply love her. Um, Echo Slytherin. I I think that she is the best of what Slytherin can offer. And I yep. say this, I realize Echo is a very controversial character, but you know, if you've listened to this podcast, that I love her. Yeah, I we love both her. do. And I also feel like if you've listened to this podcast, you will you will hopefully understand that as Harry Potter experts <laughs> um, and we're people of authority on the subject matter of Harry Potter who have both done thesis papers on Harry Potter. Literally. We, no, that's not a joke. In um, <laughs> that was the reason why we are roommates. Um, <laughs> that you will understand that the way that JKR portrays the Slytherin house in Harry Potter is grossly, grossly misrepresentative of what that house can be and should be. And we are very generous to our Slytherin friends. We applaud them and we love them and we embrace them. So when we... 49.001% slid here. When so. we attribute somebody <laughs> to the Slytherin house, that is by no way meant as an offense. It is meant with love and respect and admiration. Harry is a very biased narrator. <laughs> JKR is a very well, biased she, yes. narrator. <laughs> but I think Echo is Slytherin. I think... She reacts to things in a Slytherin way, but I also think um, part of being a Slytherin is like caring just for the people in your circle and no one else, like everyone else can go die. And I think that's Echo. <laughs> yeah. With with a passion and a theory that like, yeah, m- moves mountains. Um, okay. So the last one I want to sort, which is going to be really hard, but Jordan. <laughs> so I don't... I, I feel like we should revisit this at the end of this. We should definitely revisit see. this. But I mean, obviously right now, Jordan's a puff. Oh, 100%. From what we've seen, which is not a lot. He is a product of Harper and Monty. So I think it's pretty straightforward that he's a puff. It's a puff dynasty. <laughs> yeah, the legacy of puffs. So uh, but I just, I'm curious to see how he develops this season. Yeah. Maybe we'll change. I mean, based on what we've seen since <laughs> he's a puff. Okay. Let's do a game called <laughs> Fuck, Marry, or Kill. Uh, neither of us have written any of this down because we want uh, fresh reactions from the other person. I haven't picked mine yet. You haven't? Nope. So go ahead. <laughs> well, you might want to be a bit meaner to me because I'm pretty mean. Well, I'm going to um, be really mean. I've been really excited for this uh, choice that I'm giving you here. So Fuck, Marry, Kill. Your choices are Jaha. I knew you were going to put him in there. Riley. <laughs> And Kara Cooper. <laughs> okay. I can do this. Okay. Actually, this is really easy for me. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to marry Kara. That would be my choice, too. Um, I'm going to fuck Riley because I can just use his body once and <laughs> just dump him. Okay. And Jaha needs to die. Okay. That's that actually, was, that's what I thought you That would was do. not hard at all. Oh, I should have made it harder then. Yeah, Maybe I know. I should have thrown Bellamy in the mix. That would not have been hard Wait, either. Bellamy, Bellamy, Bellamy. First of all, I had said before we started this game, Bellamy is not eligible to, to be a character played. So here are mine. Okay. Uh, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Harper. Uh-huh. And Dioza. Oh, okay. Well, you got to kill one of them. I, well, I'm, I'm killing Harper. No offense, Harper, but I always found her boring. Of course. Here's the thing. I, like, want to fuck Dioza, 
but I also want to marry Dioza. Mm-hmm. And I realize that Jordan is like a grown man. He's like 30, but he also feels like a child to me. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can fuck Jordan. I might have to like have a platonic marriage with him. So I'm going to fuck Dioza and marry Jordan. I think Jordan would be a very good partner. Yeah, I agree. I told you it was going to be hard. Yeah, that was hard. Because really, like, Dio's is my life. (laughs) Yeah, I told you. I told you. I wasn't going to make it easy. Okay, so Alicia underscore Barhorst on Twitter asked us which season was our favorite, which is a very tricky question that we're going to attempt to answer. You should go first. I'm curious what your thoughts are. No, I wanted you to go first. Oh, okay. Okay, fine. Um, Well, my favorite season is very very it's actually a pretty close tie I feel like I know what you're gonna say but I'm curious my favorite season is still going to be season two I think it's the best season I should have gone first damn it is that your well (laughs) well I think most people's favorite season is season two because I think on all levels on character um thematical emotional like everything, everything that season is the strongest but I also feel like season four I knew you were gonna say was that. so great. And I know a lot of people would disagree with me on this. Yeah. But I think the reason I loved season four so much is because, again, it was such a quiet, character-focused season. I 100% agree. And that's what I want out of this show. Yep. So it's a close tie for me. But it is a close tie. I will also throw in there, because I don't think we need to repeat ourselves. I agree with everything that you just said. I know season one was rocky, but it did spawn an amazing series. And for a really weird choice for the CW. I mean, I loved season one. Season one, again, I don't know if I've ever said this, but I watched season one in one day while I had a fever. And I was furious. And I didn't think I was going to like it because of the way the CW cut the promos and the trailers. It looked like absolute garbage, um, (laughs) which I think we can all agree on. Uh, and so I just thought I was going to be in the background with me falling asleep in and out of a fever state and I wouldn't care. And I ended up watching all episodes in one day. And when Sarah came home, I basically told her that we would be rewatching it that weekend and it would be the, our life. And we were donning a new chapter <laughs> for us as people. I wish people. we only knew. We had no idea, <laughs> but I really, it felt like a beginning. Like I was, I was adamant. I was like, we are doing this this weekend and we are not moving until we're done. I mean, like. The, the moral complexity in season one really felt like unlike most things it was, that I'd – most shows that I'd seen at that point. It was groundbreaking. Um, the, and they've changed so much since season one. But even season one, I feel like the, the, the concept, the core concept was strong. And the cast was really strong. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will give a nice shout-out to season one. It was a weird season, a rocky one, totally uneven, but it was great. Least favorite season on three. One, two, two three. 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 <laughs> that was not practice or rehearsed. Although five honestly, is a close second. Five is a close second. I really feel like five was pretty weak overall. Five was really weak, but it wasn't as bad as three. I think the the, prob- the main problem with three, aside from um, external factors, just looking at it like on a show level and taking out all other <laughs> meanings and interpretations and problems in the fandom, um, it was too split in half. Like there, there was the the flame stuff and there was the grounder political society stuff, and they did not merge well. Well, they bit off way too much than they could chew. Yeah. Um, we didn't recap season three. I'm glad we didn't recap I'm so season three. Glad. I hated season three. Yeah. <laughs> And I don't think you guys... I don't know if I hated season three. I don't think that you guys can understand how badly I reacted to some things in season three. I mean, honestly, I still... I loved the first part of season three. Yeah. 
all of the Lexus I mean, we stuff, love all the, the ground. We stuff. love the show. So even I, I mean, like even again, even hating what it was for the show, I still, still like it better it. than a lot of other shows. Agreed, and we still watched it, and we continue to watch it. So like, there is a lot of good in season three, but overall, there were some things where I screamed myself hoarse. Yeah, it was not a good look for me. Um. Okay. So next question: If you had to kill one character, who would it be? I already know who you're gonna say. Kane. Yeah. Obviously, mine would have been <laughs> Jaha, but he's dead. So you have to pick someone who's alive. I now. know. Um, well, okay, that's a really hard question. Probably Miller. <laughs> I, I'll be okay with that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I just like, I'm done with him. Um, but what about if you could grant one character immunity from all harm? Who would it be? Maddie. Maddie? Oh, that's a good one. Who would you have said? I mean, my immediate thought is Raven because I'm so sick of Raven suffering. She's so resilient, though, and she's so strong. I know strong. she is, but I feel like she shouldn't have to She shouldn't have to be. Because she's done it so much. But, she's suffered so much. But that's the show. They've know, all suffered. I know badly. it's the show, and I actually didn't even think about Maddie, and now I'm like, oh, but I love Maddie. It's got to be Maddie. But I'm still going to go with Raven just because Maddie hasn't been through what Raven has been through and I feel like Raven has paid her dues <laughs> I agree I'm fine with that but it's gonna be Maddie for me okay okay so Laura Grisco asks watching experience slowly throughout this season versus binging on Netflix I liked the season but like you I found it difficult to understand the characters at times watching episodes back to back cleared much of that up for me what are your thoughts so how do you prefer to watch this show well I mean, I love binging shows in general. Same. But, but I don't think that – I mean, I I have not watched season five back to back. I mean, we, we watched it multiple times each episode just because yeah. we had to podcast about it. But um, I, I have – there were still like weeks in between episodes. I do not think watching it back to back would help for me. In nope. fact, I think it would actually make, make it, it worse because it would be even faster. I agree. If the story's going and characters aren't talking. And it would be more in bigger doses. Yeah. I think the smaller doses week to week made it a little bit more palatable. And I also think that this show and just the nature of what you and I do demands that we have time in between. Oh, I, yeah. I can't digest. binge watch this show. In fact, it I need a full seven days to figure out what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. I mean, like, I definitely would have a much shallower view of the show if I binge watched yeah. it. Um, but again, like, that just wouldn't be a problem because to binge watch it, I have to wait until the season's over, and we all know that's not happening. Well, so, like, <laughs> no, I mean, this is like a hypothetical, of course, but I still feel like even if we weren't podcasting, and even if I had the option of of binging it all at once, I probably would because I have no self control. But I do think that we benefit from having a full week to ponder. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Last question slash, uh, <laughs> it's just a brief, just addendum. a thing. We want to talk a really briefly. Sarah dreams about the hundred a lot. Weirdly a lot. Guys. Um, especially during the height. <laughs> she really misses the show. And I think we should all have to listen to her talking about her dreams. Like no, I really, do. the only reason I'm mentioning this because I mean, they're just dreams. So there's not really any real meaning behind there, but, um, someone had direct messaged us asking for me to talk about the dreams that I'd mentioned online. Um, so I'll talk about my latest one first, which was probably the greatest dream. One of the greatest I've ever had, which was me and Murphy being best bros. We lived in a floating hotel. So it was like a cruise boat, but it was like more like a hotel. 
and we were solving murders together. So I want this show to be a thing. Um, CW, if you want to talk to me about it, I'm totally open. I'm here. You know my contact info. Please come to me because I think this would be a great idea. Me and Murphy. <laughs> the dynamic duo. <laughs> you are a crazy person. <laughs> um, my other dream, I did have a dream a little while ago that was like, I kept watching season six over and over again, and it kept changing. Um, in season six, Clark, actually, we discovered that she was a waterbender. Um, in season six, I kind of, if you, if you guys have seen Avatar, waterbender means you can, you have the elemental power of water, and you can move water in different ways with your mind. Um, also, <laughs> if you haven't seen Avatar, what are you doing with your that life? That's true. Um, but in my dream, Clark was still left on Earth alone after season five. Like that was kind of like I merged the end of season four and season five. Mm -hmm. And she had to get to the Allegius ship so they could go to this new planet. And so she waterbended the ocean to lift her up into space and deposit her on the Allegius ship. And then they went to this new planet. And the new planet was basically like a super futuristic. Um, what's that planet of that's like a total city in Star Wars? Um yeah, uh, starts Cor with a C. Coruscant. 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 It was basically Coruscant. The whole planet was just like a city. And <laughs> I think I have a lot of dreams about the 100 members solving crimes because Clark and Bellamy were kind of solving crimes the whole time. I think there's like a latentness <laughs> where you just like want some reconciliation here. And oh, no. Like the real reason I was dreaming about this and watching it over and over again is because I was seeing Clark and Bellamy get together in together. different ways over and over again. And I kept being like, wow, this is happening really early in the season. I'm very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so I should have known it was a dream by, based on that. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for taking us on that journey yes, into your psyche. I'll keep you updated. Your subconscious psyche <laughs> in your sleep. Um, that's it, guys. And I won. And you did win. Um, but we'll probably be back fairly soon for the trailer unless we don't get, like, a real trailer and it's just, like, fake. Even if we do, you'll still stuff. want to talk about it. <laughs> um, that is our episode. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can. You can email us at al always at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at skycast on Twitter. You can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. So that is our episode. We'll probably be back before next season because of the trailer, but we never know. So until then, may we meet again. May we meet again.